Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, August 3rd, and we're talking Apple and Fitbit. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by senior tech specialist Evan New. Evan, what's going on? Not much. Going to the mountains again this weekend. <laughs> Another big weekend for you. You've been living large this summer. Yeah, I mean, it's what you do in the summer in Colorado. I mean, mountains are an hour away, so it's very accessible. Where specifically are you it's going? Also, it's, it's my wife's birthday, so we're going out there. We're going to go to Keystone. Ah, this time you'll have the kids with you, though. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe not quite as adventurous a hike then with, with the young ones. It'll still be a good time, though. <laughs> I'm going to be relaxing here in D.C. because I've gone through three weekends now of me and my girlfriend meeting associated parents and... I cannot wait to sleep in and relax and not have to entertain anybody. <laughs> it's getting serious. <laughs> Dan Boyd behind the glass puts up three fingers. Yes, my parents are separated, Dan. <laughs> That's how that math works. <laughs> um, before we get on to enjoy all of that, though, we are going to talk a little bit about Apple earnings and Fitbit earnings. Um, I, I, I want to talk about Apple first, Evan. This is a company we love. It is in the news. Uh, it is probably the biggest market story of uh, at least this week, if not the month, um, we have a trillion-dollar company finally on our hands. Yeah, the first U.S. company to hit a trillion dollars. And I remember when you know years ago this whole conversation started, but then you know they they've had that big like forty-five percent pullback that lasted like two years. <laughs> that kind of set them back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and and that that point you make about it being the first U.S. company is a good one to make because a lot of the coverage that we have seen has it said. Apple is the first trillion-dollar company. That is not technically true, right? PetroChina hit it like in 2007, but they're also down to like 200 billion or 200 billion now. So they've lost almost 80 percent of their value since then. <laughs> yeah, I doubt that Apple will follow the same fate. Um, but certainly, big news. Certainly, something that's interesting for us to talk about. Um, and really, this big number that they finally hit was because they put up some pretty good numbers in their earnings report. Right, I think that was definitely the catalyst to to, to the upside. Yeah, so company reported revenue of fifty three point two billion, which beat street estimates. Uh, ditto for earnings per share, which came in at two dollars and thirty four cents. And I think the necessary context here, when you think about a company this size and the numbers they're putting up, this is Apple's fourth consecutive quarter of double digit growth and the company's strongest growth rate of the past eleven quarters. So going back to that little dip that you were talking about earlier, I remember doing a show. At some point with you in uh, maybe mid 2016, something like that, where you know a lot of people, there were a lot of naysayers. You know, what's going on with Apple stock? Have they peaked? Uh, I think it's safe to say now, 500 billion dollars in market cap later, uh, no, the the company's doing just fine. Yeah, and that, what's crazy is that you know they're able to hit this valuation, and their PE ratio is like 17 or something like <laughs> ridiculously cheap. So even at a trillion dollars. They're just so profitable that they still look very cheap, even at such an insanely high, you know, absolute valuation, um, which is really kind of unheard of. Like, I mean, it's one thing if you get up there and you're, you know, you're overhyped and you're overvalued or whatever, but no one's going to argue that Apple's overvalued when they're trading at 17 times earnings. We haven't really seen a company like this, maybe ever. You know, I mean, it's historically cheap. It continues to hum along and grow. You know, I look at it now and I'm like, well, how could it double? You know, like, but uh, I could have said that two years ago, and this is where we are now. Um, the the big catalyst for this business and something that is always focused on with earnings 
is the iPhone unit. And this most recent quarter, we saw more of the same, where units kind of trudged along a little bit, nothing really too crazy on the growth side. Most of the growth that we're seeing from revenue comes from an increase in average selling price there. Right. So, iPhone units were up less than 1% to 41.3 million units. Uh, but revenue, iPhone revenue jumped 20% because you know, ASPs jumped to 724. And uh, you know, they, they noted on the call that they gained share in the quarter, which is really just speaks to the broader state of the smartphone market. IDC says the smartphone market actually contracted in the second quarter. Not a lot. It was something like 1% or 2%. So, basically, anything that's remotely positive, which 0.7% growth for Apple, <laughs> is enough to gain them share. Uh, on the unit side, but on the revenue side, yeah, I mean, the, this iPhone 10 starting at you know, $1,000 has really been the big driver of the past three quarters uh, in terms of really being able to deliver some of this growth. Because the other, I mean, that's really where all the growth is coming. Not, not all of it, but the majority of the growth is coming from just iPhone 10 pricing alone. And I think that that's only going to continue. I think we're only going to see average selling prices go up because just anecdotally, looking around and seeing people, you know, whether it's on the metro or at work, I see a lot of people that are still working with iPhone 6, 6S, 7. I think that there are still a lot of people that haven't quite migrated to the more expensive lines for them. Right. And I think the big question kind of going forward is, you know, there there has been all this talk about like iPhone 10 pricing is a little bit too high for a lot of consumers, which is certainly true at $1000. I mean, that's not a cheap phone. And, you know, whether obviously they're doing quite well overall, but you know, certainly there's a lot of people that just can't can't afford it or don't want to afford it, don't think it's worth it. So I think the big question is with this upcoming iPhone release for 2018, which will probably be next month, what are they going to do on the pricing side? You know, like are they going to walk it back a little bit to kind of try to grow units more? Are they going to kind of stand pat at a thousand dollars for the flagship? Uh, so I think that's a big big thing to keep an eye out for next month. But yeah, so far it's it's going quite well. And thinking a little bit about that new release that'll be coming up, it always comes in the fall. We saw a pretty big change in form factor with the iPhone 10. I don't know that people should necessarily expect something radical this fall. Right. So, I mean, people are kind of expecting them to have kind of the same form factor. Certainly, iPhone 10 just being released will probably just do kind of a, a no dramatic changes there, but just kind of bump the specs, improve, make things faster, just kind of the usual refresh there. Uh, but, but then there, there's also supposed to be a, a bigger iPhone 10. I mean, no one knows what they're going to call it because now the last year you had eight and ten. So what do you do this year? Nine and eleven, ten S. Like you know, and their naming has been so messed up for many years. But whatever they call it, there's supposed to be an iPhone ten plus or you know whatever larger, uh, you know, version of that one. Why don't we talk a little bit about what's going on on the services side of Apple's business? Um, you know, the installed base, this massive group of people with iPhones, gives them the ability to create a lot of high margin service revenue. Um, and we are seeing that segment take off, and it seems like they are on their goals to making that segment double between 2016 and 2020. Right, so they're they're still on track, um, and services just continues to really grow at this really nice clip. I mean, it grew 31 percent this quarter to 9.5 billion. Uh, that does include a one-time benefit of about 230 million dollars from like lawsuit settlements because uh, they had a pretty litigious quarter they had a bunch of stuff going on but <clears throat> so that's obviously not like a recurring thing that's a one-time item um, but in general I mean even if you back that out uh, the services business is growing very well and one thing that's very nice about the services business is that there's no seasonality to it I mean obviously iPhone is very and most consumer electronics are very you know prone to seasonality you know people buy stuff in the fourth quarter don't buy as much in the summer 
But if you look at services, it's just marches higher every single quarter, even on a sequential basis. It's just every quarter is just more and more and more. It's just a very steady rise. As you know, and this is like you mentioned, a very profitable business. There's now 300 million paid subscriptions running through their stores. So they've added 30 million subscriptions basically every quarter for the past three quarters, and it's pretty seems you know, it seems pretty consistent um, the clip at which they're they're adding these subscriptions. Um, so yeah, I mean th- this business is just executing very well um, on a trailing twelve month basis. It's now a thirty five billion dollar business, which is just absolutely insane. I mean, anytime you look at the scale that Apple op- operates on, it's kind of staggering. Um, one area that I think we are always desperate to get more clarity on, and always kind of have to settle for vagaries is what's going on with Apple's wearables business. I mean, we got some help there, some update there from management, but uh, it is still not as granular as we would like. Right. So this time they they did say that on a trailing total twelve month basis, wearables has exceeded ten billion dollars in revenue. Uh, we knew that was pretty close because last quarter they said it was the size of a Fortune three hundred company, which is their roundabout way of saying it's, it's <laughs> at about nine point nine point three billion. So it was already on that cusp of hitting ten billion. So not really surprising that they hit it this quarter. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's just you know same kind of story. You know they're they're doing well growing Apple Watch as well as these kind of wearables that they include in wearables, which is like audio products like AirPods and Beats, which, you know, questionable whether or not those are really wearables per se, but, you know, that's how that's what they call it. Putting it all together um, and looking at Apple's guidance for the fiscal fourth quarter, which is calendar Q3, they're looking at revenue in the range of $60 billion to $62 billion. We talked about growth rates a little bit before. That guidance represents 14 to 18 percent year-over-year growth, which again, I mean, it's kind of crazy that they're able to put double-digit revenue growth up when they're at this size. Um, it's it's just kind of incredible to me, Evan. I think that's one of the big things that's really encouraging investors is that you know, you know, like we mentioned before, their growth had been kind of tapering off for a little bit, but now they're guiding to the fifth consecutive quarter of double-digit growth, and it's really accelerating. So the fact that they're able to accelerate growth on this this massive business is a huge, really positive narrative for, for investors because, I mean, not m- most companies can't do this. And and again, it's it's really coming from iPhone 10 pricing and services. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, that's largely what really has uh, really encouraged investors to bid up the stock to above a trillion dollars. The the big question mark for this company, I think, looking at the next two quarters, is at what point will the launch of the new iPhone? Come out. Will it be something that plays into their fiscal Q4 uh, results, or will it be something that plays into fiscal Q1 for next year? Um, that release date will kind of give us a little context into what they're actually expecting with year-over-year growth. I mean, if if that doesn't launch until fiscal Q1, and they're still expecting that 14 to 18 percent year-over-year growth, then you know, like party's on. I mean, the, the growth story is just going to continue. Yeah, and I think you know, longer term, you know, to kind of you know bring it back to the services piece, like. They're, they they had the clearest clues yet that Apple is building a video streaming service, which has been pretty obvious if you look at how much stuff they're buying in Hollywood. But they haven't talked about it. And, and this is on the call. He said, you know, Tim Cook referenced you know the two TV execs they hired, and they said, quote, they're working on a project that we're not we're really ready to share all the details of it yet. So it's like that's the most direct reference that we've heard yet that they do have some type of video streaming service in the works. We've also heard other reports of a premium news service that they might be working on because they made a, a they acquired a digital magazine service earlier this year. So, you know, long term when you look at these other potential offerings that they're going to come out with in, you know, let's maybe a year or so, who knows when they'll do it, but 
those just have even more potential to really juice the services business even more. And the services business is just fundamentally very scalable. So, yeah, I think even longer term, there's a lot to look forward to. As you're looking at this business, you're a shareholder. I'm a shareholder. I know that I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit less inclined to add to the position that I have with Apple than I might have been two years ago. You know, I, I look at them at a trillion dollars and I say it's going to be a lot tougher for them to double and give some of the growth that we've seen over the past two years, five years. That said, I think you could do a lot worse than buying Apple if you're looking for exposure to the tech space. It's just like a safe play, you know. I mean, it's, yeah, even if you don't think there's a lot of growth in store. Because their earnings multiple is so cheap, it's fairly safe. Like they they can't really go down too much when they're making this much money, you know. So, I've always looked at it as just kind of this fallback. You know, if I don't have extra money and you know want to put it in, I'm not going to be too worried about it. But yeah, I also wouldn't expect it to have like incredible gains going forward since they're already you know so high. I was thinking a little bit about what they're doing on the share repurchase side and the dividend side, and kind of thinking about their capital allocation and. Even if their market cap stays at around one trillion, you know they're planning on aggressively buying back shares. I think somewhere in the neighborhood of forty billion to fifty billion a year, something like that. And they maintain a decent dividend yield. So thinking about them buying back shares, returning capital with increased ownership for people who currently own shares, I mean, you could be looking at you know four or five percent growth without any actual market cap growth, which is kind of incredible. Right. I mean, they've been buying back shares at a crazy pace ever since tax reform last year. Uh, they've bought back $44 billion over the past six months worth of stock, which is just a mind-blowing figure to think about two quarters worth. And, I mean, they're just going to keep doing it. And they have, they've said that they're, gonna, they're trying to implement this net cash neutral goal, uh, which, you know, right now their net cash is as close to $150 billion. So, that implies that over, in, over time, you know, they're going to be buying back over like hundreds of billions more in the years to come. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's a lot of debate to you know what companies should be doing with that cash. Um, you know, you could very well argue that it might be better spent, um, at least from an economic perspective, uh, giving some growth opportunities with employment and you know creating things uh, here in the United States. But you know, if you're a shareholder of the company, um, you have to be pretty thrilled that they are aggressively rewarding people who hold Apple shares. Right, I mean, there's they're spying so much that it's very highly accretive to long-term shareholders because you know their EPS growth has just been nuts because they're buying back so much. So long-term shareholders are really getting a huge benefit from it. All right, switching gears over to Fitbit, um, these companies might not seem to go together, but I think you know when we talk about Apple as the hardware company that has over the last couple of years really blossomed, this is wonderful and uh, very margin uh, happy. Services segment. That's ideally what Fitbit wants to be doing, and that's what we keep hearing from management on the call. They are not there yet, though. Looking at their current results, right? So uh, they reported second quarter earnings. Revenue was about two hundred ninety-nine million, uh, loss of twenty-two cents per share, uh, and both of those were declines from a year ago because they've been really struggling as this wearables market broadly transitions from these kind of basic wearables. And basic activity trackers towards more full-featured smartwatches, and it's very much what you saw play out with like flip phones and smartphones. And it's also not at all surprising because you know why would you buy a device that can do just one thing versus you know spending a little bit more money? And you know smartwatch prices are coming keep coming down and becoming more affordable, and then it's just it can do so much more. So um, their basic fitness trackers sales have been really falling for the past one or two years. 
And I mean, the good news is they they recognized this early on, so they started investing in acquiring these companies that they could use to make a smartwatch. So they're kind of in that in the midst of that pivot. Uh, and the first one, first smartwatch, Ionic, did not do well. But this newest one, the Versa, which is a much more, it's a little bit more affordable. It has a much more approachable, like friendly mainstream design that is designed to uh, appeal to mass market. And and it's doing well. I mean, it, it is doing much better. And so I do think that there, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And thinking about how that shakes out to some of the operating metrics that Fitbit provides, uh, what we're seeing is kind of similar to the same story that we're seeing with the iPhone, right? Um, average selling price is going up, um, even though units may not be necessarily going uh, as high as company or investors might like. Um, Putting the two numbers together, average selling price is 106 from this most recent quarter. They sold 2.7 million units. Devices alone, simply device sales, make up 95% of revenue. That remaining 5% is primarily accessories with a little bit of service revenue as well. Right. So they've been they've been trying to grow this services business for, I mean, years. I mean, even even when they first went public a few years ago, they just they kept talking about how they wanted to grow this. You know, various types of services from like subscription-based training things that you can do on your phone uh, to all these other things, but they really have not made any progress on that front at all. Like every filing they've had, pretty much since going public, mentions has this line mentioning that what less than one percent of revenue comes from services. So they ha- they've up until now they have really just not been able to, to execute on growing that business. Whether or not they can't go forward, I mean, they just bought Twine Health as kind of a way to build a more digital health platform. So that's encouraging, but again, we're not seeing the numbers quite yet. Yeah, they cite these figures that software and services type revenue, uh, I think, was up 34% in the most recent quarter and up 30% in the quarter before. So there's some acceleration quarter to quarter. Um, But that is pretty low growth given what a tiny portion of the overall revenue mix (laughs) this is for the company. Yeah, I mean, they're coming off such a tiny base that you, yeah, like you said, they should be able to grow it. At higher rates, if they're coming off of almost nothing, but not many people are signing up for these services, obviously. Which which is tricky because I do totally see the integration. I understand like the fitness coaching, um, some of the more advanced health services that they might be able to offer. Um, I think there's just a very natural fit with services and their hardware product. They just haven't really cracked that nut yet. Right. I mean, they're still trying to build out the smartwatch platform. Um, just in general, like, I mean, they, they're getting more third-party apps on there, uh, trying to just develop their operating system more. So they still have a lot of work to do on the platform side, uh, which you know could also help boost this kind of third-party you know platform revenue, uh, or ideally these subscriptions. But uh, I mean, they they the first time ever they did say that uh, smartwatches are now over half of revenue. So it was 55% of total revenue in the quarter. So yeah, I mean, they're making progress on a number of fronts, but. There's still a lot. I don't know. I'm not super confident in them in the long term, but they are making progress. Something that was a little curious to me with this earnings release uh, was what management said about guidance. So Fitbit's management said they're expecting Q3 to come in somewhere between 370 million and 390 million, which would have them down slightly year over year. And they also reiterated full year guidance uh, for revenue, which is roughly 1.5 billion. And so we have Q1 and Q2. We have their guidance from Q3. And that gives us the ability to then say, okay, this is roughly what they're expecting for Q4. And at the midpoints for that Q4 estimate that we back into, they're roughly flat. But management has also said that they expect to return to growth and profitability in the second half of 2018. And so I appreciate them being somewhat conservative in reiterating guidance. 
But I also think that they're giving some dummy guidance here. And if I'm a Wall Street analyst and I'm working through all of this, I hear it, I'm thinking they're going to sandbag a little bit on one of their quarterly ballparks and actually expect more when I'm building out my models. And and I say all of that to say that they might be in a situation where they hit guidance in Q3 and Q4, and the market isn't particularly happy about it. Yeah, I think that you know they they did mention on the call that they're trying to take a more conservative approach to when they issue these forecasts, because like you mentioned in the past, they've kind of overshot and underdelivered or overpromised, underdelivered. So I think they're trying to avoid that, and at the same time, I think they're going to try to shift towards these like fall product releases to to kind of you know coincide better with the you know holiday shopping season so that could be potentially if they have a successful product launch for the fourth quarter and there could be a little bit of upside there relative to their guidance yeah i just think that that exercise of we're reiterating our guidance but we're expecting a return to growth and profitability it's kind of like we're reiterating we're reiterating our our guidance wink you know like it, it, there's like this ah like <laughs> like you should expect more and so just i think something to be mindful of if you're watching this stock over the next 6 months is um they might hit all the numbers that they're saying they're going to hit and wall street still might not be particularly happy about it because of some of the comments that they're making um big picture though looking at fitbit i think if you're a shareholder you have to be happy about the versus smartwatch you know like this is them really firing well on a product uh after the miss with the ionic and um they actually said that they were supply constrained uh, during the past quarter, and that they sold out of the product. So, so I think given some of the struggles they've had in the past with consumer hardware, you have to love that. Yeah, I mean that's certainly a good sign. And I mean th- that watch looks so much better. I mean the Ionic just—it <laughs> was just too niche of a product. And and somewhat relatedly, I guess you know the company's inventory is under control. You know they've talked a little bit about operating expenses, and by all indications. Tracker inventory is more or less in line with demand. Again, given that some in the past quarters they've had to eat charges related to inventory and slightly misestimating demand, that's another thing that you have to like. Right. So they, you know, they've learned their lessons because you know they you don't want too many devices in the retail distribution channel that aren't actually moving uh, because you know, if people aren't buying your stuff, then that's kind of <laughs> a bad thing. Clearly. Yeah, uh, the the thing that I come back to with this company though is to your point earlier about services providing a good floor, a good consistent floor of revenue for Apple because it is not as seasonal. When I look at Fitbit, it is still a somewhat seasonal business that is highly reliant on new product launches. And the subscription revenue, the service revenue or software revenue just isn't there yet, and I'm still not seeing a lot of traction. Right, and and they're competing with Apple too. For I mean, they're that's one of their biggest main competitors, and like you said, like this entire business is all hardware, so it's all going to be based on consumer, you know, spending patterns throughout the year, product launches, how well are these products being received in the market, and at the same time, you know, your only worth, your total market cap is a couple a few billion dollars. <clears throat> Apple makes like ten times what you make about <laughs> your market cap in a single quarter, and it's so it's, it's just it's really hard to imagine them like really being a, a really strong competitor. Just in terms of sheer size, I mean, it's really how do you how do you compete with that? Yeah, for my money, I'm still staying away from Fitbit. Um, if you are a shareholder, you know, I think that you need to really buy into the idea that they're going to build a services revenue segment that is viable long term. I think that that only that not only helps them out financially, but um, if they're able to build out really valuable software and services, that makes their product offering a lot more valuable. It makes it a lot stickier and it keeps people engaged. 
it's a huge part of the investing narrative, you know, because obviously, I mean, I thought this report was actually pretty decent because they're starting to show some signs of progress, but the market didn't. I mean, the stock went down something like 9 or 10% that day. So obviously, investor sentiment is still very poor, even though, in my opinion, they are there are some you know some encouraging signs. So they, they have a lot of work to do in, in terms of also just really shifting investor sentiment. And that would, you know, growing the services business would do a, long, a lot of good on, on that front. Yeah. Well, hopefully, they'll figure it out. I know a lot of fools follow this stock. Uh, Evan, thanks for hopping on and talking with me today. Thanks for having me. Of course. Have a good time on the mountain this weekend. And tell your wife I said happy birthday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions, or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So, don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Dan Boyd for all his work behind the glass, subbing in for Austin Morgan today. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!